You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many years ago, I had a friend, we'll call him Dave. Dave was a guy like me who just loved to play whatever sport or season it was. It didn't matter. Um, We just loved to play. But one thing you could always count on from Dave was that when we went out to play, he always dressed the part. If it was football season and we were going to play a, a game of football, he would come out in his best bulldog replica jersey, his knee pads, his elbow pads, his cleats. He was always dressed to the hilt. If it was tennis and we were going to go out and play a tennis match, man, he looked just like Jimmy Connors. Had the matching outfit, you know, shirts and shorts, had the perfect socks and tennis shoes. He looked great. Even when we went on men's retreat and we were going to play ping pong and have our ping pong tournament, man, you could count on Dave. He'd have his headband on and his wristbands on, and he'd pull his paddle out of its custom case that was just perfect. Now, Dave wasn't always the best player when it came to the game, but man, he looked the best walking onto the court or the field. He understood the importance of just looking the part. I think his motto was, if you're going to be the best, you got to look the best. He wasn't always the best, but he always looked the best at any rate. Have you ever heard the phrase in sports, that team looked great getting off the bus, but the game was a different story? What that meant was when the team was walking off the bus, man, they looked really intimidating. You know, they, they were dressed right. They had some big guys. But when they got on the field, man, maybe they were just a little disappointing when it came to game time. Well, I'm not saying Dave was bad. I'm just saying he could never live up to as good as he looked when he walked out there. See, outward looks can often tell us the wrong story. Many times we draw the wrong conclusions about a person by the way they look or about the way they carry themselves when we first meet them. In the first five minutes of a conversation, well, we start sizing a person up. We start drawing conclusions long before we know who that person really is. And this is dangerous and it's unfair, both to us and to them. But we do it all the time. Even in the Bible, this happened quite often. One story that comes to mind is 1 Samuel chapter 16. You remember God sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to identify and anoint a new king for Israel. King Saul had been rejected by God to continue ruling over his people because of his disobedience time after time. God wanted a man who would obey him. He he wanted the people to have a king that he could trust to rule over his people with righteousness and with truth. Simply put, he wanted a man after his own heart, a man who would value what God values, a man who would love and care for the people the way he does, that that would care about the things that God cares about. And so God sent the prophet to the family of Jesse in the city of Bethlehem. Now, Jesse had several sons, and one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, 
they paraded before Samuel the prophet. Now, when the first one came along, the prophet looked and said, man, he looks good getting off the bus. He has the outward appearance that just made him look like a king. And that's what Samuel wanted. He wanted somebody who looked like a king. Somebody who looked good getting off the bus. See, the prophet had quickly forgotten about his current king, Saul. He was the ultimate Hollywood movie star king that looked good getting off the bus. He was tall. He was handsome. He was everything you wanted. But like most movie stars, he was disappointing when you got to know him. In other words, he had the pretty wrapping paper, but the box was empty. And in chapter 16, verse 7 of 1 Samuel, we read, but the, law, but, excuse me, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not look and does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so many of us today continue to make the same mistake that Samuel made. We choose a spouse by looking at the outward appearance or looking at their beauty. We hire a new employee because, wow, they looked really good wearing that suit and that tie. Or we, we choose the wrong friends at school because we, want, we, we choose the, the friends that, that are going to make us look good because they look good or because they're the most popular. And so often, when it comes to relationships that really matter, we choose foolishly and we end up with a Saul rather than with a David. The outer packaging reveals so little about who a person really is. It doesn't tell their story of who they are inwardly. See, there's so much more to every person than just this outer shell that we wear around. By looking at the heart, God is able to bypass the look test. God rightly understands that the heart is not ever really revealed by the externals. Our beauty, our wealth, our position of power, our popularity have very little to do with who we really are. Many times the two don't line up at all. Don't you wish that we had the ability like God to look at each other's hearts? Some of you are going, well, yes and no. And I know what you mean. I'd like to be able to see the heart of another person. I'm not sure I always want them to see my heart. But wouldn't it be great if God made us with little signs, these little placards that, that just kind of came up on our chest as we walked around, you know, that, that kind of told who we are. It might say, you know, person of high integrity. Or it might say, dishonest person. I'm going to lie to your face. Or Faithful person, you can trust me. Or maybe somebody's got on the back, two-faced person, don't trust a word I say. Wouldn't it be great if, if that's sort of what we did, where, where we could really understand each other and who each other are just by the outward appearance? But we don't. But the question becomes this morning, how do we know the heart of a person? Especially when we don't have a long period of time to get to know them. Can we really know the quality of a person's heart? You see, over time, we can always tell. Over time, you can always discern a person's trustworthiness. 
But it takes months and sometimes years to really know a person. To really get to know the true nature of who that person really is. You see, we we all can hide who we are for a season. But over time, it's difficult to hide who we really are. Time in a relationship reveals both our strengths and our weaknesses, our good and our bad. Ask anybody that's been married for any length of time. You live with somebody, you find out very quickly who they really are, but unfortunately, by that point, you're already married to them. See, our question today is, are there things that we can look for in a person that help us more quickly learn their heart? I think there are. This morning, we're going to examine a beautiful story of a man and a woman who choose to look for the right things in one another to discern who the other person is. And when we can do this, this enables us to make a wise decision about our future with a person, even if it's just friendship, or if it's an employee situation, or if it's as far as a spouse. Now, I'm going to warn you guys, you men out there today, that this story is a bit of a chick flick. It's a love story that we're going to look at. Boy meets girl, they fall in love, and they get married and live happily ever after. Sort of a Hallmark movie kind of thing. But there's actually much more to the story, and it holds great insights into what we should look for in each other that we might more accurately measure the person's character and their convictions. We find this familiar story in Ruth chapter 2. Most of you know the story, but let me recap very quickly what has happened to this point as we pick up this story. See, there was a famine in the land of Israel. And a landowner by the name of Elimelech and his wife Naomi decided to leave the land of promise and to move southeast to the land of Moab. It appears that they just don't have the faith to trust God and to ride out the famine, to ride out the problem. Instead, they load up their two sons and they move to a foreign land in hopes that things will get better. But you know this, running from your problems rarely solves any of them. As a matter of fact, when we leave God's will and run from the problems that he's put in front of us, things generally only get worse. And this was the case for these guys. Elimelech soon dies, and the boys end up marrying unbelieving Moabite women. And within a few years, the unspeakable happens. Both of the sons die as well, and now Naomi finds herself a widow, and not just a widow, but now a widow with two widowed daughters. And try to say that five times really fast. In that culture, this created a desperate situation. These women woke up with no husbands in a world where men were necessary for survival, or almost necessary. And so broken and bitter, Naomi decides it's time to go back home. Now she gets together with her two young daughters-in-laws and she encourages them to go back to their families. Well, Orpha complies, but Ruth refuses to go back. And she makes this famous declaration that sometimes is quoted at weddings. We find it in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Look there very quickly. But Ruth said to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you 
or to turn back from following after you. Forever, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Guys, here Ruth makes three, or she decides to do three very important things. Number one, she decides to go back to Israel with Naomi. Number two, she makes the decision to embrace the God of Israel. And number three, she decides to stay faithful to Naomi and to her God, regardless of what the future holds. In our New Testament understanding, we would probably say this is Ruth's moment of conversion or salvation. This is when she confesses her faith in, in the God of Israel. But I want you to notice she does three important things in that confession. It was more than just an emotional decision she made. She made a commitment to a new life. First, she says goodbye to her old life. She was willing at this moment to leave her family behind, her friends, her home. She was ready to leave every part of her old life behind. Second, she made a public declaration of her faith in God and the God of Israel. This was not some private resolution that she made one night just laying in her bed thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to start serving that God. I think I'm going to change over my allegiance to Him. That, that, that somehow she could deny later. No, she made her decision public. She went to Naomi and she let her know, I'm following your God. And then third, she was in it for the long haul. She was staking her future on these decisions to follow Naomi and to follow her God. Guys, Ruth had no plan B. It was goodbye to her past. It was, I'm going to embrace Naomi's God and I'm, going to tr and I'm trusting the future that will come with these decisions that I'm making. Now, does this describe your conversion to Jesus? Did you leave your old life behind? Or are you still holding on to some things, to maybe some friendships or to some allegiances that keep holding you back from really growing in your relationship with Christ? Have you made it public yet? Have you made a public decision? Or, or, or have you kept it a secret just in case things don't work out? Just in case you, 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 know, you wanted later to say, well, I, I really wasn't serious about that. Have you been baptized? That in the Bible, that's the first way to make a public declaration. Hey, I'm following Jesus. And third, have you thrown it all in to follow the Lord? Or are you holding on to a plan B just in case it doesn't work out? I believe there are many, many people sitting in churches today that haven't experienced true conversions to, to Christ. Oh, they've you know, they've sort of gone there. They, they're, they're, they're sort of in, but they're not all in. And guys, I'm not sure that not being all in gets you anywhere. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he said, no one 
having put his hands to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, having started out, looking back and saying, well, I'm not sure, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't have with Jesus an all or, it's an all or nothing situation. It's an all or nothing decision. You can't have it halfway. It can't be half-hearted. To be a Christian is to make a total commitment of your life to Him. And somehow, this Moabite woman understood that. My guess is that she had seen it in her mother-in-law, Naomi. You see, Naomi had made some mistakes. But Naomi knew God. And though she had made mistakes, she was ready to go home. And in chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi arrived back in the city of Bethlehem. And the first thing they need is some food. And so immediately, Ruth volunteers to go to work. Look at verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the fields and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now the first thing I want you to notice about Ruth is that Ruth is not afraid to work. There's not a lazy bone in this young lady's body. In the book of Proverbs, we read over and over and over again about the folly of the lazy man or the lazy person. Let me give you just three verses. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Chapter 20, verse 4 the lazy man will not plow because of winter. In other words, because it's cold. He will beg during harvest and what? And have nothing. And I love, I love the imagery in, in chapter 26, verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. You know, you kind of get the imagery of this. You know, I sort of had that experience this morning because I got to tell you, the work day about wore me out yesterday. And I was laying there when my alarm clock went off this morning, and I thought, i got to turn on my hinges a few times here. I can't get up. But the lazy man constantly does that. And what? He ends up with nothing. See, you, you get a glimpse into a person's character by looking at their work, work ethic. That's the first thing you can ask a per, you know, you can, that you can examine about a person. Are they willing to work? Paul, excuse me, Ruth has no hesitation to go out and get busy trying to find some food. Finding a job and gathering food was at the top of her to-do list. And later, this man we meet named Boaz, he will take notice of her work ethic. You see, Boaz rightly understood that, that, that her work ethic told him something about her character. Now, as just a side note, I want you to notice something else in these verses. Look at how God is guiding the steps of this young believer. It says she just happens to wander into the land of this rich single man, Boaz. 
who just happens to be a near relative of Naomi. Guys, understand with God, there are no coincidences. This didn't just happen. God is guiding her steps even when she is totally unaware that it's happening. And let me say to every believer today, guys, God is guiding your steps to the place to put you in the right field as well, even when you're unaware that it's going on. You need to be patient. I know you've been praying and you've been feeling that God was ignoring you, you know, that he hasn't heard your pleas, but he has. And he's guiding every step you take, even though you're not aware of it, like Ruth, he's going to lead you to where he wants you to be. You just got to be patient. You've got to let God work. Look at verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. That'd be a great way to greet each other in the morning and at work, wouldn't it? Hey, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Try that tomorrow when you go to work and see what kind of response you get. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. You know, this is one of the ways that you know that the Bible is true. It's always interesting the little details that the writer gives us. You know, this little detail that, you know, she got tired and she went inside for a little while. Now, she wasn't lazy. She's a hard worker. You work hard, you get tired. That's why I had to sit down a little bit yesterday. I got a little tired. But like I said at the beginning of the story, this is a little bit of a chick flick. Because along comes this rich landowner, and he immediately notices this young woman in his field. Now, the question immediately comes up, why did he notice Ruth? Well, I think the simplest answer is that this was a small community, and I think he knew everybody else. We like to say it was because Ruth was some sort of beauty queen. You know, like she was this knockout that no man could miss. It was like Boaz walking in the field and goes, Whoa. But I don't think that's how it happened at all. Because the only problem with that answer is there's no evidence whatsoever to support it. Nowhere are we told that Ruth is beautiful. As a matter of fact, there's evidence that we'll read later in the story that she was probably not as pretty as the other girls in the field. The Bible never hesitates to give a physical description of people who are really beautiful. You go through it, you look at how many times there's some woman in the Bible that the Bible says she was a, just a knockout, she was gorgeous. Or some guy where the Bible says, man, he was a handsome dude. You know, that he was built like this, you know. The Bible doesn't, the Bible often describes people physically, but not in the case of Ruth and not in the case of Boaz. Their looks are never mentioned in this story. And I think that's important because there are other clues that reveal what was the attraction between the two of them. So what made Boaz take an interest in Ruth? He was a wealthy man. He could have married any woman in Bethlehem. What was it about this Moabite woman that caught his eye? And what made Boaz so attractive to Ruth? 
you know, she, he had lots of money. And we're tempted to think, well, she just knew he was rich. And I don't think that was it at all. I don't think Ruth was that shallow a person that she would be pulled towards a man just because of his money. Let's look at the rest of the story. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now, in these couple of verses, we get insights into what attracted Ruth to this man Boaz. Because I want you to look at what Boaz does for her. He gives her three promises that I believe every woman needs and desires from a man. Here's what they are. Number one, he promises Ruth preference. He says, do not glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. In other words, Ruth, I'm looking after you. I need you to stay here. He communicated to her that she was important to him. Notice that Boaz singled her out. He let her know that she mattered. She wasn't just another woman out there in the field. He was going to make sure that Ruth knew that he cared for her, that he was going to take care of her. He wanted her to know that she was different from everybody else, that she was now the object of his attention. Now, husbands, let me ask you a question. Does your bride know that she's special to you? Have you promised preference to her above all others? Does she know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the most important, that she is the most important person in your life? Does she know that? Are you doing some little things every day to make sure she knows that she is your preference? I hope you are. Look at the second thing he promises. He promises Ruth protection. He says, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He communicated to her that he was going to provide for her safety. Now, this was very important for any woman in that day who had no husband. Ruth desperately needed protection. She and Naomi were in a very vulnerable place in their life, and especially in that society. And yet Boaz comes along and he says, Naomi, Ruth, well, in this case, Ruth first. I'm looking out for you. You're going to be safe as long as you stay in my field. Again, husbands, Does your wife sense your protection? Does she know each day by the way you're taking care of her and the way you're looking out for her that you are there to protect her and to have her back? Does she feel safe in your field? And and wives, let me say to you, there's an important phrase there. You have to stay in the right field. You can't go hunting in another man's field for safety. 
you got to stay there. The third thing he promises Ruth is provision. He says, when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the men have drawn. Here he acknowledges her physical needs. Boaz wants Ruth to know that he understands why she's out there working in the fields. Any interest that he has in romance, he says, can wait. He first assures Ruth that he's going to make sure that her physical well-being is taken care of. That will happen, according to Boaz, starting right now. Now, husbands, one more question for you. Is your wife confident that you are going to take care and provide for the physical needs of the family? That you're going to make sure that she and your children have what they need and it will be taken care of by you? I'm going to suggest to you that that is near the top of most ladies' list of needs. That they need to know that you're concerned about her well-being and her children's well-being. That doesn't mean you have to do it all by yourself. Far from that. But it does mean that she knows and she's confident that you have that concern. See, because Boaz has these concerns, Ruth is able to see his heart and his character. She's beginning to see who this man really is. Boaz's life was not all about Boaz. He was able to see into the life of another person and understand their need. And this is not easy to do, especially for us men. Let's face it, guys, it's not, is it? Well, we know really well what our needs are, but we have a difficult time looking and really understanding the needs of our wives and others around us. It's interesting. When Paul described how a man should love a wife in Ephesians chapter 5, he painted a picture of sacrificial love. One that would place the needs of our wife ahead of our own needs. And as any honest husband will tell you, this kind of unselfish love, it takes a lot of effort. It doesn't come naturally to most of us men. And yet, this is exactly what Boaz begins to reveal to Ruth about himself. If you're a single woman here today, let me encourage you to stop looking for just a good-looking guy. Look first for a selfless guy. A guy whose character runs deep enough to see the needs in another person's life. And not only that, but to see those needs and to have the heart to meet those needs. Ladies, that's the guy you want to find. Trust me, marriage is a long time. And that, that is what I believe every woman needs and desires. Is this kind of love from her husband where he shows her preference where he shows her protection, and where he gives to her provision. Husbands, are you such a man? Single men, is that the guy you're becoming? Look at verse 10. So she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Hey, wives, next time your husband does something great for you, I want you to bow down before him and take his hand and say, why have I found favor in your eyes? 
I'm still waiting for that day to happen, but I know it's coming. Okay, in that culture, it probably translates a little better than it does in our culture, okay? At any rate, she was really grateful for what she saw from Boaz. Verse 11, and Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now here are some of the insights into why Boaz took notice of Ruth. Why did she find favor in his sight? And and why did he ask about her earlier in the chapter? I want you to notice three things that attracted Boaz to Ruth. And remember, I don't think it was her looks. Number one, her reputation. Boaz had been told about Ruth's kindness towards Naomi. Her reputation had preceded her presence. Just as our reputation usually arrives long before we get there, whether we want it to or not. Ruth had a good reputation, a reputation for kindness. It had developed over time. See, you you don't invent a reputation. You create one by your choices, by your behavior, over time. Reputations are not formed in a week or in a, in a month. They take time, whether it's going to be a good reputation or a bad reputation. Listen, a reputation is usually a fairly accurate description of yourself that you have written by your decisions, your, de- your behavior, and your deeds. You write it. What is your reputation this morning? And an even deeper question is, do you like it? You wrote it. Do you like what you've written? Understand, only you can change your reputation. And unfortunately, our reputation is the first impression that most people have of us. Because it usually gets there before we do. And for this reason, we need to make sure that we send ahead a godly positive reputation and Ruth had done that I believe this is why Boaz is so interested in identifying who she is he had heard about her he wanted to meet this woman who had been so kind to his relative Naomi remember Naomi is her mother-in-law not her mother everybody's kind to their mother not everybody's kind to their mother-in-law And yet Ruth was. And because of that kindness, people heard about her. Second was her loyalty. This is the second trait that drew Boaz to Ruth. She had been a a loyal friend and family member to Naomi. Even when she had a justifiable way out, she remained true to her mother-in-law. Remember, it was Naomi herself who tried to convince Ruth to stay in Moab. Appropriate loyalty reveals a lot about a person's character. It would have been so easy for Ruth 
to look around and say, you know what, my life is going to be a whole lot easier in Moab. I know the people. My family's here. It's going to be a lot safer for me. But she just couldn't walk away. Something inside of her would not allow her to abandon Naomi. Now, understand, sometimes loyalty can be a fault. Loyalty driven out of fear is not healthy. If the only reason you're staying there is because you're afraid, that's not good. Loyalty driven out of selfish desires is also bad. You're just staying because of how it benefits you. And, and you, know, you like the money. You like, you, you like what it affords you to stay here. That's not necessarily good either. But loyalty driven out of love and concern for another person's well-being is a wonderful trait. It reveals a lot about a person's heart and their character. And this is what attracted Boaz to Ruth. This is what caught his attention. And the third thing that caught his attention was her hard work. Verse 12 reveals that Boaz had taken note of her diligence towards her work. He prays that God would bless her because of her hard work. Again, just a word to the single ladies here today. Or to single men and ladies. Let me, let me rephrase that. A word to all the singles here today. Don't attach your wagon to a lazy horse. Do I need to say that again? Don't attach your wagon to a lazy horse. You don't want to spend your life doing the work of two. Marriage is hard enough when two parties are pulling together to carry the weight of marriage. It's just about impossible when you've got to do it alone. I've been married for almost 38 years, and I'm going to tell you, looking back, nothing has been more important to me than these three traits that I have seen in my wife. Her reputation, her loyalty, her work ethic. They are far more important to me now than I ever dreamed they would be when we were young and dating. Now, I'm going to tell you, I saw them then. I could see, and I could tell you some stories, and I'm not going to make this about my wife, but I, I could tell you, there were, these were the things that really, some of the things that really drew me to her. But through the years, I have come to realize, wow, these things are far more important than I ever thought they were. And singles, take note of that. Write those things down. Make sure that those are what you see in that person that you've been dating. Look at verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. This is the verse that hints to me that it probably wasn't Ruth's beauty that drew Boaz to her. She doesn't think that she's as pretty as the other women in the field. Now, maybe that was just her imagination. Maybe she's self-conscious. Maybe maybe. She just didn't feel like she was because she was a foreigner. But certainly, we can say this, her value was not wrapped up in her looks. What she thought about herself was not all about how she looked. Look at her humility and her gratitude here. They both shine and reveal a lot about her character as she, as she talks to Boaz. Now, skip down to verse 17, and we'll wrap up with a couple of thoughts here. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephod of barley. That was a lot of barley. Then she took it up, and she went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. 
And so she brought it out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. In other words, she, she brought her the, the leftovers from lunch is what that's saying there. And when her mother and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Because her mother-in-law realizes, wait a minute, you got far more stuff here than you should have. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives, And Ruth the Moabite said, he also said to me, you shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women and that the people do not meet you in any other field. And so she stayed close to the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, Naomi gave Ruth some really sound advice in verse 22. Look at what he said. She said, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. Naomi realized God was at work. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes others can see God at work in our life before we can. Naomi saw that God was at work in Ruth's life, and he says, you've got to stay right where you are. Don't go wandering. And man, this is some good advice for us as well. When you see God working, or when other people see God working in your life, stay close. Don't let yourself wander from the place of blessing. Find contentment right there with what God is providing. I see people all the time who, who, who find themselves in a place where God is blessing them. God is working. God is blessing. God is providing. And yet they get impatient because it's not everything they want. They want more. Or, or, or they're just not satisfied with what God is providing. Or what God is providing is not what they were looking for. And so what do they do? They roam into another man's field. And Satan lures them to his field. And he makes promises to them that he never plans to keep or can keep. But once he gets you in that field, he traps you and it's very, very difficult to get out. Guys, stay where the blessings are. It might not be perfect. Things in this life are very rarely perfect. It may not be all you want or what you were looking for, but that doesn't mean you can't learn to be content there. See, Ruth could have gone out searching for more. Maybe Boaz wasn't the handsomest guy in the city. Maybe she wasn't the guy that she had dreamed about since her husband had died. But she was wise enough to look for the right things. She realized godly character when she saw it. And she wasn't about to leave that field. Guys, stay in the field where the blessing is. Be careful when you start wandering. Discontentment is a dangerous thing. Guys, do you know what you're looking for in a friend? 
in a spouse, in an employee, or an employer, or in a mentor, or in a pastor? Are you still just looking at the outward packaging and making a lot of judgments about that person based upon how good or how bad that packaging looks? I hope this morning that you've learned to look for more. And I hope you've learned to look for the right things. Because I believe Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after because they did, because they found the right things. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.